This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Starting a record label in 2010, arguably the worst year for the music business, is a surprising thing. Having that record label survive and thrive is even more surprising. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their businesses. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. Today, we talk to Jessie Frick of Father Daughter Records, a label she started with her dad at the very lowest point for the music business, about her model and goals. We also talk to one of her most exciting artists, Shamir, about being independent and having your own voice. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Can I have a taste of your ice cream? Can I lick the crumbs from your table? Can I interfere in your crisis? No, mind your own business. No, mind your Support for The Future of What comes from SoundExchange. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jesse Frick. Jesse, welcome to The Future of What. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I, I know it's not actually a one-woman show because there's your dad, so it's one woman and one dad. Yeah, that's correct. And there's, <laughs> and there's, there's some other various wonderful people that are also on board helping, too, these days. So. Oh, that's great. You've expanded? Yeah, there's four of us now. <gasps> Get out of here. Yeah, I'm still the the number wonderful woman, but I have some some great other people. I have Andrew who works with me in San Francisco, great. and then Tyler just came on to help with A and R, and they are on the East Coast in various places. Oh my gosh! So you're gonna let somebody else help with A and R? I'm so impressed. Well. It's A and R in in the sense of I definitely still have a say in who we're signing, but you know, day to day dealing with feelings and emotions and ideas, they have been very helpful in coming in to help balance that because there's only you know I think we have like sixty something artists on the label now, and there's only one of me. Ooh. Yeah, so it's it's very helpful to have someone else that can also be like a buffer or a sounding board for everyone. Oh, that's awesome. So when artists have issues, they have more than one person to talk to now. That's what you're saying. Yes. Oh, that's praise, great. Praise baby Jesus. Yes. There's <laughs> more, more than just one. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's kind of go back to the beginning because you've been in the music business for several years, but at some point in 2010, you decided, I, I know, I'll start a label. <laughs> yeah. How did that crazy decision come about? I'd always wanted to have my own label. My best oldest friend in high school actually started her own label. And I was lucky enough to work alongside her for many years, both in South Florida and then relocated to LA. And I just, I loved working one-on-one with artists and developing things and putting together marketing plans as like, uh, maybe boring, that sounds to some other people. And my dad is a huge music lover. Neither of us play instruments. We're, we're not very technically savvy in that way, but we both really love music. So I don't remember how it came about. It might have been a holiday get-together at some point, but I just said, I want to start a label. And he was like, yeah, me too. That sounds fun. <laughs> and the name the, the name was just, I mean, it made sense. Right. But some people still don't realize it's it's a father and a daughter. <laughs> and yeah, it was a crazy thing to do in 2010, let alone any time. Yeah. But yeah, it just, it just kind of organically happened like that. Yeah. 2010. I mean, the reason that was extra crazy is because we were having a recession and we also had just experienced that revolution where people suddenly thought music was free. Mm-hmm. So when your label came online, was it already all digital or did you still catch, did you catch the tail end of physical being something people had to take really seriously right away? I think we kind of caught the tail end of it because we started out just doing seven inches and we sold a lot of them in the beginning and downloads were a thing. Streaming wasn't anything yet. Right. So I think in the beginning, physical definitely outsold digital 
to think that there was just an iTunes store back then. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think we came around toward towards the end of that, but then also now the resurgence of it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Totally, which has helped everybody. I mean, we've all been seeing some serious. I just saw a statistic the other day. Did you see this? That gosh, I, I, I'm sure in 2010, because when I took over the label in 2006, my husband had actually stopped manufacturing vinyl completely. Like he just wouldn't do a vinyl version of an album unless the band really, really wanted it for some particular reason. So he was just all CD. So I actually started doing vinyl again, probably around 2008, 2009, 2010, like started bringing that back a little bit. And it's funny because we just took that dip. So anyway, at that period in America, there were only like four pressing plants. And it was really hard to get stuff pressed because it took forever because RTI was like completely backed up for, you know, they were like, well, we'll have this in eight months. And we'd just be like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And I just read somewhere that the 23rd pressing plant in the United States just opened. Wow. Isn't that crazy? So, yeah, it's been nuts. The last 10 years has just really, you know, shown that there's definitely still, I mean, I think there was always a market for vinyl, which is what the vinyl you know, pressing plant people have always said there's always been a market for vinyl. It's just that we we sort of lost sight of it. And now it's really obvious. And also people have gotten, because I think of the prevalence of streaming and because digital is now the first format that people think of for music, I think vinyl has a special place because it feels like, you know, extra, like you can hold it and it's big and it's got pretty pictures, you know? And I mean, like, I feel like Urban Outfitters to a certain extent has made it more of like a cultural thing, you know, mm-hmm. like That's you have true. these beautiful records on your shelf. So it's like almost part of your like aesthetic of your apartment or house or something. Like yeah. people really like to show off that they have a record shelf, right? which is, you know, which is if you want to buy vinyl just to have it on your shelf and you listen to it digitally, that's cool. Like our, whatever you want to do with it is fine. Yeah. I think, exactly. yeah, vinyl's always, I mean, I think it's just like the format is just, it sounds great. It looks great. It's cool. And, and CDs, I don't think ever necessarily had that moment. Well, and it's always funny because, you know, I mean, I don't want to get sidetracked forever and talk about this, you know, down a rabbit hole and not talk about you because you're the more interesting thing. But I will say about vinyl, you know, I feel like those of us who grew up listening to vinyl also, you know, the vinyl experience is that it's art, right? Like bands care about which song is placed where on a record and like what song is the last song on the first side, what song is the first song on the second side, you know, things like that. People used to and still do like mix and master albums with that in mind. Like it's a part of their artistic output. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking with a band now that we're releasing a record in April and we actually had very long discussions about the, what the last song on the first side and the closer was going to be specifically right. for that reason. Right. Yeah. Which is so funny because of course my husband who is like you know, the original music dude listens to all albums on iTunes on shuffle. And I'm always like, how can you do that? That's so wrong. That's like, the whole purpose. Exactly. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, fine. Hey, you know, like, uh, I guess that's why Shuffle exists. Sometimes maybe people just don't feel like it's in the order that's for them. I don't know. I think he's just autistic and needs like, you know, surprises. <laughs> I think it's more it's like, what's I mean, going to be next? Too, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so something I think that's really interesting is that you had a friend who kind of modeled this as an option. And I feel like, you know, starting a label is one of those weird things that people kind of, you almost kind of have to have a role model. And I I know that not everyone who starts a label does, but I mean, certainly Slim did in Olympia in 1991 because there was already K Records there. And while, you know, he didn't specifically get like, a ton of stuff from Calvin Johnson. He did talk to Calvin a bunch and Calvin did some sort of mentoring of him, you know, a little bit telling him some stuff about distribution and, you know, just stuff that you need to know because it is such a weird business. It's not something like to this day. And I'm sure you're, you find this all the time. Like even artists who are on labels don't a hundred percent understand what labels do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's just interesting to me that you had a, a mentor, you had a friend who did it. And then so it became it came into your sphere of awareness, like, oh, this is an option. I could also do this. You know, what was it that was attractive to you about having a label rather than just, let's say, managing artists or something? I mean, I feel like both kind of go hand in hand at this point now that I do both. But mm. I mean, I just I've always been a, a music collector and a, a purchaser of 
physical music. I mean, even when I was a kid, I had 45s of like my favorite songs and I had a little record player even going into like the CD and cassette era. So I've just always like appreciated music on a physical format. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just I I think I'm I'm so interested in all different facets of the music industry that running a label seemed to make the most sense because I could kind of dip my hands into different pots, whether it be like touring or merchandise or marketing or radio or whatever. You know, you really do get like a good sense of how the entire music business works by either running a label or working on a label because there's just so many different facets to it and you're dealing with all kinds of different people. So I think that's what attracted me to it. Plus, you know, being able to like work with so many different artists, management sometimes, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get, you'll have clients for long term, which is great because, you know, you start to really gain trust and you almost become family. But there's also a little piece of me that is a little ADD where I like to have different things going on at once. And that also kind of attracted the the label side of it to me because I could, I could work on multiple things at once. And I feel like I come up with some like wacky marketing ideas sometimes, which is helpful when you're juggling a couple things at once, because not everyone's going to like everything. And I can kind of like throw out ideas to all the different artists. So yeah, I think I think it was a little bit just wanting to like be involved in multiple sides of the industry and also just like really have a hand in the physical slash now digital aspect of releasing music. was Just a Gwen by Art School Jocks. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. To find out what's coming up next, follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Jesse Frick. So take us through because, I mean, every label has an arc, right? Like you start out with one release 
And you guys, you started with releasing Seven Inches. And then, so it's like, how many records did you put out your first year in business? And then what was it that kind of helped you keep going? I think we did two Seven Inches in our first year. It was definitely, like, I definitely had in mind that we need this to be a, a slow burn. I didn't want to start off too quickly. I didn't want to do albums. Like, we were not set up for that. And I was still also just kind of getting my footing and everything. Mm-hmm. So I think it was when we did the Pure Bathing Culture EP was when stuff kind of started to pop off because the band definitely got more national and international attention than Mm -hmm. any of our like seven inches did. Right. They got a booking agent. They were touring more than any of the artists that we had first started working with. And I think that happened in our second or into our third year. So yeah, I just, I kind of feel like that record kind of started to set things off, which is funny because it's an EP. (laughs) And I I guess we weren't really expecting, you know, as much to come out of it as it did. Right. Still to this day, I mean, we still get syncs for it and stuff and and the band still plays some of the songs live. And yeah, I I think at that point, that's when stuff kind of started to feel like, okay, this is real. Like maybe we can start releasing albums or doing more per year you know, working with more artists, that kind of, and I think at that point too, is when we actually got distribution through Red Eye too. So it just kind of felt like the label was becoming something a little bit more like real. Right. That was my next question is when did you get distribution? Because I think for a label, that's kind of your, you know, that's the signal that you guys are, that you've moved into the realm of being regarded as like a real label, because once you get national distribution and international distribution, of course, you know, more than just making 500 seven inches and selling them out of your house, <laughs> which is awesome. But, you know, that's like the which early we still days. Do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we yeah. still had a mail order, we would still do that. I mean, for years and years, we did all the mail order stuff ourselves. But we eventually moved to a like a warehouse in Kansas that does, you know, our marketing and our merchandising. And they have an awesome website. And that's that's been great just because it was actually like I was looking at the money and because we rented a whole building, a warehouse building, and we had, you know, a full-time person, full-time salary, internet, insurance, postage. Postage was like 60 grand a year. It was insane. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. When we do our our year-end reports, like it's insane how much money is spent on postage. Right. So that's actually why I moved to the company merch table because <laughs> – once you look at the gross and then subtract what you spent, you're like, wow, I made a dollar fifty. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, all this all this work, you know, for a dollar fifty. So Yeah. Yeah. So I decided it didn't work. Where I'm also still kind of a freak where I like to like throw in extra stuff in our records. Yeah. So I, I'm I have not quite gotten to the point where I like wanna give it to someone else to do. But it's definitely getting close because I feel like it's starting to take away from other things that we could be focusing more attention on. That's the hard line, right? Because we, I mean, we had such a cool thing because Toby from Bikini Kill was our mail order person. So she would write personal notes and put them in there for, you know, she had longtime customers that she'd been, you know, sending stuff to for 17 years. And, you know, it was just a really personal, special thing. But it just ended up becoming financially unfeasible. So, yeah, you know that's when that's when I sold out. <laughs> I went to <laughs> I went to big merch, which is funny because they're not, of course, big merch. Yeah, hard. That's hardly selling out. Whatever selling out is these days. Yeah, I don't think selling out exists anymore. Honestly, I think it's like totally a concept from the early '90s that nobody even remembers. Yeah, I don't, no one cares about that anymore. Well, now, because it's it's so fragmented now, it's so hard to make a living. People are just grateful. They're like, can you get me a sink? Like, can you get me a TV commercial? Like, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. And I think for the most part, a lot of people just don't understand how things work. Like, what could seem like an independent label is actually not independent and is tied to a major label and or getting funding from somebody else. So it's like so murky. You can't even really tell what independent means anymore. Right. Or you certainly have to like do some research to figure that out. That's very true. Yeah. And I don't think people necessarily have time or care to do that kind of research. They just, they just love the artists they do. Yeah. No, I think that's, that is, that's an interesting point. And at the same time, you know, there are, 
well, God, that's a whole other rabbit hole. But then there are huge independent labels that are genuinely independent, like Big Machine, and that's Taylor Swift's label. And like no one would ever think that either. So yeah, exactly. Like, it goes both ways. It's kind of funny. So, okay, so you're a couple, three years into it, you get distribution. Now you're like, uh, we're legit. Yay, we're a real record label. What does your release schedule look like now? I mean, you have 60 bands on your roster. So what, like, how many releases are you guys putting out? I can't, I don't keep track. (laughs) (laughs) Next year, we already have one, two, three, four, five, six for the first half of the year. And four of those are full lengths. I wouldn't call it a problem, but there's just so much great music out there and so many great (laughs) artists and father daughter kind of exists and, and started and still exists to introduce kind of newer or under the radar artists, not counting Shamir, but I guess Shamir in his new musical state or old musical state, if you want to call it that, to introduce them on like a more national slash international scale. So I think with the birth of Bandcamp and a lot of like home recording stuff, there's just like more and more artists that are making incredible music and putting it out there and we find them and we want to work with them. So I think a lot, half of our release schedule for next year are existing father-daughter bands that we're now doing a second record with, which is new for us because all of our record deals are just one record deal. Mm -hmm. So we don't tie our artists to, you know, you have to do three records with us. And the cool thing with that is that it's up to the artists if they want to continue working with us and growing with us. And some do, which is awesome. Some want to go and move on to other labels, which is, we totally support that as well. I mean, that's why we just do the one record, the one album deal. So yeah, so next year is kind of a mix of some new artists that we have not worked with yet, both from the U.S. and from abroad, which is awesome. And some are existing father-daughter bands, which is equally as exciting because we can continue to like grow along with them and, and help them grow to like the level that they aspire to get to. Totally. And you guys have great taste. I mean, you've put out a bunch of really cool bands and that's why people are excited about father-daughter records. You know, that's why people are noticing you as a brand, right? As a label, they're like, oh, we like these artists and that's why they come back and see what else you guys are doing, which is rad. But it's also rad because, you know, in general, indie labels are the risk takers of the music industry for that exact reason, you know, because you're discovering bands when they're still, maybe all they've done is, you know, put out a few singles by themselves, or maybe they've put out an EP by themselves, or maybe they've got a whole album on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or something. And you're willing to not only, you know, take a chance on them, you know, emotionally, but also financially, which is a big deal these days because there's no guarantees that you're going to make any money back. Yeah, 100%. And 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 with new artists, it's even scarier because we're telling that story from the start and, you know, we don't have existing fans that are already going to stream it or download it. We're having to sell these artists not only on our customers or just music lovers out there, but also the people on the business side at, at Spotify and iTunes and even to a certain extent our distro because, you know, they are having to work from scratch on a lot of these artists. And, you know, we, we really believe in them. It feels like our crew of publicists and and college radio folks that we work with are, they believe in them as well, just because I guess maybe they believe that, you know, we feel so strongly about them and have so much just have foresight into like what these artists are going to do. And I think that like really resonates with people that buy music because one thing that I've always wanted this label to be is to not fall into any specific genre. I just want it to be great music that we love. And if you like our taste, then, you know, it's very possible that you might like some of the future records that we do. I just want it to stay really fresh and interesting and, and not kind of fall into like one specific genre, which to me, I guess that plays more, plays a little bit into my ADD again, is that, you know, I, I don't, I don't listen to one specific genre. I'm all over the place and I really want the label to reflect that. And and I think that a lot of music listeners, that's the way they are too. That's why streaming is so big is because everyone, you know, wants to try out new things and really 
kind of explore music. I think that's really interesting because I have come to the conclusion, like I've come to kind of a different conclusion now, sort of late in in my career here or whatever, late in my life. <laughs> feeling old today. I'm just really tired. <laughs> but, you know, because you're running a label that's seven years old and I'm running a label that's 26 years old. And I feel like in a weird way, there are things that we can't do, even though Kill Rockstars has never been a genre label, right? Like we're not, you don't say like, oh, you guys are, you know, like relapse, like a metal label, you know, we're, we're not something that's got a very clear definition in terms of genre. And yet at the same time, I'm pretty confident that every year that passes, I know what we can sell a little bit better. And in general, it's like women, artists, you know, queer artists, something that's just a little more punk than not, you know, a little more punk and less polished, I would say, you know, five dude bands are not where our wheelhouse, like they're just not, no matter what they're playing, mm -hmm. it's, it's, funny. It's, it's a, it's a funny thing. And I could be wrong. I mean, maybe I'm making a generalization that I shouldn't make, but you know, when I look around the country at all the other labels, the labels that have been, you know, very long lasting, I do feel like you sort of get a sense, right. Of like, you know, for example, I got an email from a publicist the other day with a great band, a demos from a great band, really great band. I love them. And I was like, you know, something you should call thrill jockey. Because I was like, to me, this sounds like a thrill jockey band. Like, it doesn't sound like a Kill Rock Stars band. It's just, it, I don't think that we would sell this to the right people. I don't think we have the right audience. Do you know what I mean? So it's funny. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Because I, you know, I would have, I think I would have said exactly what you just said a few years ago. Like, it's great that we don't have a genre and that we can sort of be inclusive. And I think it's, you guys have done a great job of that. Like, you're very, you know, it, you're not going to hear the same type of, you know, like, oh, you're, it, it's like, that's the band that sounds like their big band. Like, they have that one big band, and then every other band sounds exactly like that big band. Like, no, that's not what you're going to get on your label. And that's not what you're going to get on my label either. It's just funny. You know, so I don't know if that's, like, experience talking or just, like, laziness. <laughs> like, maybe I just got... <laughs> lazy i mean i feel like i feel like after a while though like you're every label is going to kind of attract a certain audience right i mean if if you know whatever that audience is if it's someone that's like more slanted towards you know female artists or you know if, if you despise women singers then like you're probably not going to follow the label right. but, right. but I, I mean i guess to a certain extent everyone has their audience with, and they're committed to you with the label if people care about labels for whatever reason it is that they're you know attracted to that i i mean i would say if we had a genre it's probably like outsider music mm -hmm. if to a certain extent i feel like all of our artists are a little punk whether or not that's the kind of music that they play but they're kind of doing things themselves on their own merits. All of our artists like design their own artwork or work with their artists that they want to work with. They tour however they want to tour if they want to tour at all. Like we don't necessarily tell anyone that they have to do anything a certain way. Right. And maybe that's kind of where the outsider genre or the punk kind of mentality fits in is like you just kind of, we allow them to do whatever it is that they want to do. And if they want any sort of insight or guidance, like we're obviously there to give that to them. But yeah, I guess like to a certain extent, everyone's kind of a little, a little punk rock yeah. in our circle. Yeah, I think I like I like the idea of outsider music. I think that does speak to what you guys do for sure. Everything and I 
That was Cold Apartment by Vagabond. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. If you're like us, you love a good newsletter. As an artist, it's a great way to get in touch with your fans, bring them behind the scenes, and offer exclusive opportunities. Share your tips for creating a great newsletter by tweeting us at KRSFOW and subscribe to ours. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. Kill Rockstars has partnered with Merch Table for almost six years now, and they've come through for us in a lot of ways. Like when the comedian Kurt Brownoller wanted a face towel with his face on it. Merch Table found a way to make this, and it's been one of our most popular items in our mail order store. KRS loves Merch Table. You're listening to the future of what? I'm talking to Jesse Frick. So let's talk nuts and bolts. So you do do contracts with bands for one record. Do you guys do a profit share or a percentage deal at this point? We do profit share. Yeah. 50-50 profit. Which is rad. And that's what, you know, that's what we've always done. But I I just recently heard that majors are actually moving towards that now. That's what I heard too. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But it makes a lot of sense in the yeah. streaming age because how do you do 18% of streams? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that like their, their finance department is probably like, they're just like over it at this point. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And with streaming, it's, it doesn't, it's so difficult, especially with like the breaks, you know, in streaming, like, how are you going to calculate any of that breakage, whatever it is? Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy. And so your label and my label are both, you know, sort of widely renowned as being artist friendly and I think what you just said is part of that. It's like we both, I think, give a lot of latitude to artists. Like they can pretty much do what they want to do. I mean, we're not going to tell them they can't have a certain type of cover art. You know, we're we're not going to say, wow, you, this song would sound a lot better if you changed the bridge. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that that is not going to happen. And I think with I think our contract really reflects that with artists because it's asking for very little and then it's giving them some creative control, like giving them as much creative control as they need, plus budgetary control. So do you guys do that too? Do you allow them to like kind of have caps on what you're allowed to spend money on? Like how does that work? I'm gonna be honest, I'm really terrible at budgeting. <laughs> so it's kind of we're still operating in the you need something, okay, we'll try to make it happen. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you you need you need photos. All right. Well, we know these photographers who are really great who, you know, are kind of in our price range. You need some merch for tour. Sure, I think we can do that. Let's look over what we've spent so far. We'll just like apply it to your incoming royalties or whatever. So we're even very lax on the budgeting side, which I feel like I probably should tighten things up a little bit, but I'm I'm not great at it. And, you know, that's kind of where my dad comes in because he runs his own business and he's really good at that. So as we keep growing, we are actually having to put together budgets, which I, I kind of hate. Right. Because sometimes there's just some stuff that comes up that you're like, oh, but I really want to do this. Yeah. And it doesn't fit into the budget. So like, let's just do it. So, yeah, everything, I guess, is kind of free-flowing on that end, too. I mean, everyone, we're very transparent with spending and expenses. So every artist, we share a spreadsheet with them, and they can see kind of how things are tallying up, because I think it's really easy to say yes to a lot of things and not realize that that $500 or 1000 adds up really quickly. Mm-hmm, a lot totally. of artists don't realize how much it costs to make vinyl. Like it could be upwards of like six, $7,000, depending upon, you know, what you want the packaging to look like or how many colors you want to do. So yeah, so we're, we're really transparent with that. And we make sure that like the artists kind of see how things are spending because, you know, you don't want to go too far into the hole, especially being a newer developing artist before you really know, like, is my music going to sell? I I would eventually like to get paid for my music. And luckily we work with a lot of artists who are rather thrifty or they're just like great designers or illustrators, or they have friends that are, are really great at that. And we can kind of like keep costs low. Yeah. But long story short, I'm not very good at budgets. We don't really have budgets as long as, you know, Everyone, as long as everyone feels like there's a little bit of push and pull, but you know, I think I think everyone's genuinely happy about what they get out of every release. Cool. Well, I just have one more question, which is for people who are listening to this and are thinking about starting their own label, 
do you have any advice? Like, is can you look back in the last seven years and be like, okay, I really wish that I had done this one thing differently? I think my advice is just to do it. Don't wait for someone to do it for you. Trust your gut. You're going to know if you really love something and if you want to put everything into one artist or one release or something, like just do it. Because I feel like there's so much competition out there these days that if you don't do it, it's very possible somebody else will. And trying to think, well, what have we done that that I wish we would have done differently? I, don't, I mean, I don't really feel like I would change anything with, with how we did anything. Like we definitely started doing distribution ourselves through TuneCore. And I feel like that really made us appreciate when we did get a distribution deal because we saw how hard it was in the beginning to really do everything yourself and not have those contacts at Apple and and Spotify and be be able, I mean, playlisting wasn't a thing back then, but like, you know, placement on iTunes and stuff like that. Like when you actually do finally get it, it just is is so satisfying because you know how hard it was in the beginning just to get anyone to listen to anything that you felt so passionate about. So yeah, I think like it, it's okay to be slow. It's okay to like take things one step at a time. Like you're not going to become a huge success overnight and just really like cherish those kind of little wins over time. Cool. Well, you guys are doing an awesome job. Here's to, you know, many, many more years. Jesse Frick has been my guest today. Jesse, thanks so much for being with us on The Future of What? Thanks for having me. You say you love me so. That was Float by Shamir. You're listening to The Future of What? If you're enjoying this program, like us on Facebook and become a subscriber wherever you get your podcasts. Still looking for the perfect gift? Skip the counterfeit t-shirts by shopping at Rockabilia. 
From patches to leftover tour merch, Rockabilia offers over 500,000 official items music fans will love. Use coupon code PCFutureofWhat at rockabilia.com for 15% off your order. My guest today is Shamir. Shamir, welcome to the Future of What? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. So today we're talking about Father Daughter Records, which is your new record label. You just released a record, oh my gosh, what, 10 days ago, 11 days ago? Yeah. Oh my gosh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's been such a good feeling. Yeah, especially to just like, you know, release something. It feels like my baby, you know, like I have like so many hands in the record and this feels like an extension of me. So I'm really happy for it to be out. Yeah, fantastic. So you came to Father Daughter after having released your second full length, but your first one on a label, right, on XL. And then you went through a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah, as far as yeah. I understand, <laughs> yeah. before you came to Father Daughter. What was it that attracted you to Father Daughter as a label? I don't know. Just like I like a lot of the bands and the music that's coming out of it already. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Leticia, Vagabond. Mm-hmm. I'm always just like spoke very well to the label, spoke very well of Jesse. And uh, I was just like really happy for her when she signed with them. But I've always been kind of like a fan of the label even before she started releasing her stuff to them. I met Jesse back in 2015, actually, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. At like a signing, I believe. And so we just always like kept in touch. And then, but I was still like signed to Excel at the time. It wasn't till like after like I released Hope. She's just like such like a huge supporter of it. And, you know, it's like very happy for me to kind of be like, you know, rid of the Excel chains. So after I released Hope and then went to the hospital, like for my mental health and then when I got out I just started like writing immediately kind of just like as a means of just like coping you know mm-hmm. and when I realized I had like a full record I was gonna just like self-release it again but then I was like maybe I should just like hit up Jesse since like you know she's a fan of like the first record and it's not too far off so maybe she'll like it and she liked it instantly. I was like, yes, I'll release it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. So, I mean, Father Daughter it has a reputation as being a super artist-friendly independent label. Yeah. What have you found it working with them rather than working with Excel? How has that how's it been different? I think with like my last label and like we definitely were like kind of like bigger labels like that too. Even though like Father Daughter is like ever growing and I could see it being like on the level of like Excel very, very soon. But I think also it's just like real people, you know, when it comes to Slavid Arter and Jesse kind of only works with artists that she 100% trusts. So she doesn't really have to like police, you know, so it doesn't feel like I'm compromising anything. She just kind of like trusts her artist's artistry and very freeing, you know, after kind of this like being on a label where I had to like, you know, compromise and like come like make everyone happy. And she kind of is like a label where, you know, she just wants the artist to be happy. And that's like a huge change for me, you know? Absolutely. What do you think? I mean, I was reading a bunch about you and and your whole story and I was just thinking, God, because I've been in the music business forever. I run a label that's 26 years old, you know, and, and I sort of see it from both sides. You know, it's like, if you work at a label, you're like, okay, come on, artist, like, get on the, get on the train here. This is how things are done. Like, this is how we do stuff. Uh But when you're the artist, like, Uh you were like 19. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It seems seems kind of cruel to to expect artists to be able to just sort of get with it, get with the program and be like, oh, this is how we have to do things without fully understanding the whole process, you know? Yeah, I was so blindsided. I was so blindsided. You know, I was like a 19-year-old working at Top Shop and woke up one morning on Pitchfork. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it was just like, complete, like I was like completely unprepared. Like, you know, I didn't have like a music industry one-on-one crash course. So, you know, that first record was my my schooling on the music industry and how it works and the machine and the inner workings of it. And I wouldn't trade the experience for the world, but like, now I know what I want. Now I know like my place in the industry and now I know how to get what I want out of the industry now, but just like the best feeling now at 23, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's got to feel, well, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways I'm, I'm sort of impressed you didn't give up. I'm 
I said it up too. No, like <laughs> I was very close multiple times, but knowing that people was interested in my truth and just hearing that, I think that's what kept me going. You know, me kind of like being my authentic self, help other people be their authentic self. So that's pretty much been my motivation, you know? Absolutely. No. And like I said, I've been doing this a while and and most bands and artists do break up like they actually can't handle it, especially when they start to get a little taste of success or whatever qualifies as success at their moment. And that's the thing. You just have to like you have to push through. I think once you get through all the like bad stuff and like the BS, everything is just like smooth sailing. And I can attest to that. That's like how it's been, you know, for me. Like, you know, I had to go through like my two years of just like BS and, you know, scrapping records and working with multiple and multiple people and like to, you know, realize, you know, what I want out of this career and like what I want out of my music and like what I want to say, you know, ultimately and like, you know, what I stand for really. Right. Do you feel more empowered now that you've been through that whole mess? Yeah, totally. You know, and it was also just great to have like someone like father daughter behind me. It doesn't really feel like a label it kind of just feels like a support system. <laughs> that's awesome. And a good one. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's that's awesome. I was just interviewing Jesse a couple minutes ago and I asked her what she feels like her label represents, like what is their genre, like loosely speaking. And and she said she feels like it's a label for outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I think that you're a great example of that because you know, you you have a very distinct perspective, yeah. you know, and you are your own artist and that's super refreshing, but you can't really be put in a box. I mean, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I think I think I'm an artist that's seen like all the corners of the industry, you know, mm-hmm. which I think that's another thing. Like, you know, artists can kind of like get stuck in like their own like little genre and um, their own like little, I guess, kind of scene bubble, you know, mm-hmm. but I, never have been tethered to a specific scene you know I always kind of found myself kind of like waddling into you know a bunch of different shows and like a bunch of different scenes and like you know just observing and I think that's definitely been very beneficial for me as an artist absolutely and clearly you touch a nerve with people you know that's the thing about you know, you know, you're doing something right as an artist when you have people who come to you and say, your music is speaking to me and making me feel like I'm not alone, for example. Yeah, I think, yeah, just like I said, that's like the whole reason why I continue going. You know, and I say this, air quotes, rules that a lot of people and even artists themselves think that they have to follow. But, you know, I think that gets old, you know, and even now, you know, I'm like, not a massive artist, but I think my path, like my career path and just the way that I've done things have been very different, you know? It sounds like I kind of like, if not broke all the rules, broke most of them, <laughs> you know? And I think that's kind of like what's given me a name, you know? Like no one knows what I'm going to do next. And I honestly don't ever know what I'm going to do next. You know, I think that's, real art and but it's like in the moment and it's like what you feel and I just like want to stay true to that and everything that I do everything that I release is like in the moment like I'm tired it's like being calculated and I think like a lot of artists are like super calculated and it's like not their fault it's like if it's just kind of like these like you know industry standard rules yeah it's like if you come out of the box as a certain type of artist or playing a certain type of music and it's successful, people are going to expect that your next record is the same, right? Is is more of yeah. the same. They're not going to expect a 180 or a left turn or, or whatever. And I think it does get hard on artists because they're like, well, what if I do want to do something different? Yeah. And it's scary too. You know, it's scary. Yeah. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Sure. Because you're like, well, then no, what if nobody likes this? <laughs> yeah. When I release Hope, you know, which is like the record between these two, that was scary. That was like me, like breaking like everything. I thought that was like going to be the end of everything, but I was content with that being the end of everything because I was just like so frustrated and, you know, had an idea of like what I wanted to do and was in a mind state where like, you know, it's all or nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that I did it, but I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, and it caused me a lot of 
pain and mental trauma <laughs> in order to do it. So it's like really scary. I get why people are scared to kind of like go out the norm. But I think once you do it, you'll feel a lot better. Absolutely. Well, your new album, Revelations, is out on Father Daughter Records right now. And Shamir, thank you so much for talking to me today on The Future of What? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Art School Jocks, Vagabond, Shamir, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by The Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.